Are you ready to be transported back to 1800s high society London? Because season three of Bridgerton is now playing only on Netflix. This season follows the story of the Tons resident wallflower, Penelope Featherington, as she undergoes a journey of self-discovery and empowerment where we see her truly blossom. Penn's emotional transformation takes centre stage as her friendship with the charming Colin Bridgerton evolves into something more. For those not yet acquainted, Colin, the charming younger brother of the Bridgerton family, is about to turn Penelope's world upside down. Mm, This is the ultimate good friends to lovers story. From those initial butterflies to when both parties realise there might be something more between them, watch Bridgerton season three, now playing only on Netflix. My English teacher at the time saw something about the pop singer Kim Petras. She was in the news because she was a German girl who had gender reassignment surgery at 16 and he just slipped it to me and I was just like wow this is a thing I don't have to live my life with the parts I was given Welcome to this In Conversation episode of Shameless with AJ Clementine. AJ is an influencer and content creator well known for her LGBTIQ plus advocacy, sense of style and bright personality. AJ knew from the youngest of ages she wasn't born in the right body and began transitioning at age 18. Now 24, she is the first transgender person to model for a Bonds campaign, has walked the runway at VAMP and cemented herself as a leading voice for young Australians with over 100,000 followers on Instagram. Oh, and she's just launched her own eyeshadow palette too. We loved having this chat with AJ. She was kind, candid, and so generous and open with her experiences. We cannot wait for you to hear this chat. Here's AJ. AJ Clementine, welcome to Shameless in Conversation. We are huge fans of you and we are very, very excited that you're here to have a chat with us. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to get into it. AJ, as is customary in 2020, we feel like we should start by asking everybody how they are doing. So how are you? I'm doing pretty good. Like I'm in Melbourne, so it's pretty tough times at the moment. But yeah, I guess we're just getting through it and... We're used to it now, so we're just waiting for the day to get back to normal again. Are you like us? I mean, before we jumped on the mic, I was saying I'm pretty sure I have seasonal affective disorder where my mood directly mirrors the weather of the day. Do you find that you're the same? Like if it's grey outside, do you feel grey internally? Definitely. But I mean, I feel like it's one of those things that growing up in Melbourne in general, I feel like going back to school as well, when you see the weather change so much, it's like, oh, now I'm in a bad mood. Like, <laughs> copy the weather. I have no control. <laughs> AJ, the second question we ask everyone right now is how are you filling your time? Like we always love recommendations from the people we get on this show, whether it's like Netflix binges or it's podcasts to listen to books to read what are you reading watching or listening to right now that you'd recommend to other women so seeing as we've been in like lockdown for a long time I've lost all motivation for reading watching and just all of that kind of stuff because 
yeah, just doing it every single day, trying to find new things to get into. It's really tough, like to find a new show to watch again or like watch an old show. So I've recently started playing this game called Among Us, which is like trending at the moment. And yes. it's crazy fun. It's so it's fun. So good. Like, yes. It's so good. Zara looks really so, confused. Do you want to explain yeah. it to everyone who's confused as to what you're talking about? So it's basically a game where you're all like inmates and you work together as a crew. And then there's going to be, you can choose how many imposters there's going to be, but usually it's fun if you play with a group, big group, a group of 10, and then you choose like two imposters but the game selects the imposters and then you go into the game and then all the crewmates need to do their tasks, but the imposters need to sabotage the game and then also they will kill people off one by one. So whatever the crewmates... It's the mole. <laughs> literally. And then you like have discussions. When people find a dead body, you have discussions on like who was sus, who you suspect it might be, and then you vote people out. So it's just really crazy and hectic. It's <laughs> the mole, Cluedo, and Survivor. Yeah. Literally. And I love Cluedo. Cluedo is one of my favorite board games. And it just, yeah, it gives me those vibes. But it gets really intense. Like I sweat playing the game. Like I'm literally <laughs> on the edge and I'm like sweating in all places. And I'm just like, oh. It's so much fun when you're a duo with someone else. It's just like, it's so fun to just go around killing people. It's the best. It's the best. <laughs> and being the imposter, because it will come up on your screen where it's like, you are the imposter. And then you have to go murder people, Zara. And then everyone's trying <laughs> to figure out who the fuck keeps murdering everyone. And you know that it's you. And it's just like, it's the best. You have to play. It's free to play. So if anyone wants to go play it after they listen to this episode, go download it from the um, app, iOS store, whatever it's called. That is incredible. AJ, the other question we always start with is what were you like as a kid? So when I look back to myself as a kid, I feel like I was pretty like carefree and just loving life. But mostly the life that like I created in my head, I was so imaginative and just would be caught up in doing my own thing. And I feel like that was kind of a coping mechanism, just being someone who just constantly, even today, like I bring it into my day-to-day life to just zone out and always daydreaming. But I would do it literally every hour of the day as a kid. And yeah, I just feel like it was one of those things that I liked about my childhood because it helped me get through it with dealing with being a trans woman as well and not understanding it. And also lucky enough to have a accepting family and they didn't really care what I did and because I didn't understand myself I just lived in this world in my head being like uh, I'm like this really blessed kid doing <laughs> all these things that I like and I don't care that like I'm in the wrong body like you know it's just like one of those <laughs> ways you're a daydreamer yeah exactly I imagine as a daydreamer and someone who I guess transported yourself to different realities and different universes to find a sense of comfort, it must have been an interesting experience to stumble across the term transgender for the first time. Do you remember your first ever moment of coming across the term? Yeah, like I definitely feel like as I got older, I pushed the feelings I had to the back of my head because I didn't even know what trans was. But the moment I realized that there was actual people who felt the exact same way that I did and I wasn't going crazy was when I was like 15 and my English teacher at the time was looking at a newspaper and they saw something about 
the pop singer Kim Petras. And she wasn't a pop singer at the time, but she was in the news because she was a German girl who had gender reassignment surgery at 16. And he just slipped it to me. And I was just like, okay, what, what is this? And I just remember the feeling of being like, wow, this is a thing. Like, I don't have to live my life with the parts that I was given. And I don't think he knew what he was really doing in that moment. But I think he felt something and just felt like he needed to show me because I was obviously really quiet and didn't do much or just really reserved and maybe he saw something in me. But I remember going home and just researching Kim Petras, listening to interviews and just really figuring out everything about this girl. And I was just obsessed with trying to figure out more and like what she's doing with her life and what trans is. Cause that was the first time I ever heard of someone that was trans because my initial knowledge of that whole situation was negative things. Like growing up, it was mostly, it's just men dressing up or it's like drag queens and like, that's not a negative thing, but that was the only thing I saw. That was the only knowledge I had around the whole situation was you can only be a man and dress up as a girl. There's no such thing as transitioning. So yeah, I was just obsessed with Kim Petras and she was literally just the beacon of light for me. When you look back at that English teacher who handed you that article, what do you think they saw in you? Like if you did look back and have a think about it from their perspective. What do you think that you were communicating, whether you knew it or not? I feel like maybe when I look back at what I was doing that year, I was writing really bold essays and I was obsessed with pre liars. So I would just write about female characters a lot and I feel like that was the only real thing that he was maybe going off, but also the fact that I never felt comfortable around the guys. And another thing is I just assumed this, but I think that he was an open gay man with like the teachers and stuff like that. And maybe he just saw me and was like, I don't think it's a sexuality thing. So he just probably pushed that line between a teacher and the student's relationship and was just like, I'm just going to do it. It could save a life. And honestly, it did because I wouldn't have known and I would have just kept pushing that to the back of my head. And whether if I discovered it a few years later, it really fast forward the whole situation and just made it more real. And I still look at it and be like, he did save my life in that situation in that year. You must be extremely grateful for that teacher and the role he played in your life. Oh yeah, 100%. I also remember he wrote a really sweet letter at the end of the year. He wrote to everybody and just gave us all just something to look forward to for the rest of our years in high school. And I never said anything else. I never really did anything else, but I think he knew he impacted me a lot because the following year I changed my wardrobe. I started <laughs> like expressing myself in more of a feminine way and just I started socially transitioning. At the time, you couldn't transition if you're under 18 because you would have to go to family court and you guys had Georgie Stone on mm. your 
podcast and she was the person to help change that. So unfortunately to me, it was way too scary to even think about medically transitioning. So I was just like, I'm going to wait. And from, yeah, from, from that point onwards, I started socially transitioning because of what he did for me. When did you start talking to your parents about all of this, about the fact that you, you know, were feeling these things and were feeling confused and maybe were pushing stuff to the back of your head and trying to ignore it? When did you start, you know, broaching this with them? Honestly, I didn't. I just did it. And I, I didn't have, like, I didn't sit them down and have a discussion about this is what I'm going to do. I just started changing my wardrobe and dressing differently incorporating makeup and just trying to pass more as a girl and they didn't really question it because that was me when I was a child and I was basically just going back to what I was doing as a child. I would dress up as a kid and I was wearing dresses and I just, all my toys was girl toys and I know gender doesn't really belong on clothes and toys and stuff like that, but they knew that there was something different with me anyway. So it wasn't really out of the blue, like, well, what's happening? Like, let's have, let's discuss what's going on. And yeah, they just would be like, why? They would question why I was doing something. And I would just be like, that's me. This is me. And just really go off by that. And the only real time that I brought up that my transition was really happening was when I said that I was going to have gender reassignment surgery and they didn't really react to it. They're just like, we knew like <laughs> that was it. And from that point onwards, they fully changed like pronouns and stuff like that, just because I didn't really tell them because I was a bit more afraid. I didn't really care too much. And it was more so that I didn't feel like I could validate my identity yet because I didn't fully feel like myself yet. But they switched really quickly just to help me with that part of it, which I'm so thankful for. But I'm very much somebody that's just like, I don't want to cause too much trouble. I just don't want to really create a fuss. So yeah, I didn't make a big deal out of it, but I did make a big deal about it online at the time. I didn't really have much of a following, but I was like, yes, I'm trans and I'm going to document my transition and all that kind of stuff. And I had like a few people just watching me and edging me on. That's really all I really did with coming out. Wow. It sounds like there must have been a lot of love in your household for it to not even have to be an issue of coming out or needing to have this big conversation about it. You were just accepted as you were. Yeah. I feel like, yeah, I was got really lucky in that instance. There wasn't really an expectation of me as well. And I have younger siblings too, and I have a really good relationship with them. So they were the first ones to be like, yeah, they switched pronouns as soon as I started presenting and seeing like being seen more as a girl Mm. even when I wasn't like this is what's happening I'm trans like obviously I did like educate them but I didn't have to do anything else they were just so quick Mm. to just change and they would they would be the ones to stand up to my parents and just be like oh we need to start using she her and all that kind of jazz Mm. You once said in an interview, we had one openly gay student in my whole high school. Trans was a completely different situation. The teachers didn't know what to say. They just told me to use the bathroom when there was no one in there. How did your high school handle your gender dysphoria or did you feel like they mishandled it? I feel like they didn't really do 
anything in general, really. I didn't feel like they cared or took notice. That's why the only situation that stands out was that English teacher who did pay a little bit more attention to me. But it's one of those things that I was not really showing much as well. I was very reserved and just didn't want to create a fuss. And I would do things secretly. So if it was like single sex sport, I just would forge notes and just try and get out of it and just do things that they probably think is normal teenage behavior. But when I would express that I was uncomfortable with going into them men's change rooms or just going to the boys bathroom in general because there would be like people being like why is there a girl in here just from other years because obviously the people in my own year like were across who I was and how I was presenting but there was just that confusion I hated it when people would just get so confused by me and I didn't like that confusion and being like is that a boy or a girl and I just hated it so much I just wanted to blend in and I think they didn't really know how much that affected my well-being and how much I was struggling with that. And they'll just like, yeah, just try to use the bathroom when no one's there. Just really minor things they thought the situation needed when it was very much something that I felt safer being around the girls. And I just didn't feel I was in the right place. And I also think they didn't really know this that if I was like skipping classes and randomly leaving classes because I'm breaking down crying because I was put with the boys or stuff like that, they still didn't understand it. And I feel like it's one of those things because there's, there's just, it was ignorance around the whole trans stuff and there just wasn't any information. They don't know. So I didn't Mm. know. So how are we supposed to navigate that situation? So I just, yeah, I just feel like I was, I'm not so bitter about it but I just know that high school is just a toxic environment in general for all of us and we all struggle with just being a teen and trying to communicate our feelings but being trans just added that really intense layer to the whole mix but luckily I had great friends who would always stand up for me and would sneak me into the girls bathroom like a few times and just would stand up for me and just sneak me into lots of places and lots of times teachers wouldn't question it but there would be a few teachers that would be the very like sassy mean teachers that would be like no like you're a boy you need to be over here and it's like ugh, yuck (laughs) as you said like being a teenager is already so hard. I can't even begin to imagine that extra layer. Like we all struggle through those years and something you touched on earlier in this episode was that the English teacher played a role in saving your life and also surgery played a role in saving your life. You wrote on TikTok recently that transitioning with surgery at the age of 22 saved you. Can you talk to that, that matter of life and death with the transition process? Yeah, definitely. Being a trans person that had to go through the opposite sex puberty, it's literally just tormenting. And through that, I realized how much life was against me in that moment. So my dysphoria was really bad and I had nothing to really cling on to. And it's one of those things that when I hit 18 and trans people were allowed to go on blockers I was like wow (laughs) if only I was just able 
to do that before I hit puberty because being someone who was just quiet and reserved, I, yeah, I just didn't want to annoy my parents with the whole court situation, that that was scary. But now I had to deal with the fact that I literally went through male puberty and now I'm an adult who has to try and reverse everything that just happened. And every single trans person's dysphoria will be different. But for me, my dysphoria really clings onto genitalia and how much I wasn't truly living day to day. I would wake up, be hit with dysphoria and I'll explain quickly, basically gender dysphoria is like a discomfort with your gender that you were assigned at at birth. So cis people don't have dysphoria because they're not trans and trans people have dysphoria, which is why they need to transition. And day to day, the dysphoria would just be so much to handle every single time I would go to the bathroom was a constant reminder. It's like, yeah, you've still got that. So (laughs) how do you feel? And clothes, like every single thing day to day would just remind me of the life that I was living and this body part that was literally holding me back from relationships, from being able to just be myself because I felt like people would know for some reason or I was not really validated as well because I didn't truly feel like who I was supposed to actually be. So when I had the surgery at 22, it was honestly just a whole life-changing experience because I was up until that point and up until me understanding that I was trans, knowing that I needed to have that surgery, everything else leading up to that moment was just like darkness for me. And I tried to live my life to the fullest and tried to focus on the best parts, but that surgery literally just changed how my brain felt day to day. Waking up wasn't a struggle and I don't think about it anymore. And it's so hard to explain to people, but I couldn't look at myself naked or I couldn't do what most people just do without thinking about it. Even when I talk about peeing for the first time, like people like, oh wow, I didn't think about that. I didn't think about peeing in general in the in the body that you were supposed to actually have. It's yeah, it's crazy. Coming up after the break, AJ talks about love. But first a word from today's sponsor. I can't imagine how freeing it must have felt to have woken up and feel like I am finally in the right body and to not feel that burden anymore. You said just before, you know, it changes your perspective. So what was the plan for your life? Like once you had transitioned, when you woke up and you started thinking, okay, now I don't have this on my mind anymore, what did you want to do? Honestly, I just was so excited to continuously wake up and feel more like myself and to discover what feeling like that was going to be like because everything else leading up to that moment was survival. I was literally just living to survive, to get through each day. And as sad as it is, that's what most trans people do. And I don't think people understand why transitioning 
is so important to a trans person. It's not like we want to do it, it's we need to. It's literal treatment. It's the only treatment we have. And when people say, why don't you just love yourself? It's not really about that because we actually are transitioning to love ourselves because we have to match the brain. That's the science behind it. We literally have the brain of the gender we're supposed to be. So yeah, when I woke up in hospital, I was just so excited to get out and start doing what I've always wanted to do, such as like my style. I've changed my whole style just to fit the genitals I had before. So the fact that I could just now live life with a vagina and just do whatever I want to do. And at the time I was working at Uni Melb, so I was really happy in that job too and just living my best life. But I also was excited to also feel more comfortable with doing modeling because it was also something else I was really passionate about. And I liked the whole aspect of modeling just because of me being a really anxious and introverted person. Modeling is one of those things that I get to be someone else for a few seconds in time in front of the lens and just act like a whole new person. Now that I had the surgery I could literally just be in the moment instead of sitting there in the makeup chair being like, holy crap, I'm so dysphoric right now and I don't want to be here. So that was another element that I was so excited to live with. Tell us the story of how you met and fell in love with Ryan. So I actually met Ryan while working at Unimel because he was studying there and we just literally went on a walk for our first date and just tried to get to know each other. And I thought it was really chill, but it was one of those things where we had to build on our connection. I feel like there's sometimes you can meet someone and you feel like you are just so infatuated and just obsessed with that person. You're just like, wow. But then it kind of fizzles out and you're just like, oh, I didn't really truly like that person. (laughs) But with us, we we're getting more excited as we saw the layers and we're slowly showing who we truly are. I remember when I told Ryan that I was trans as well, like his reaction was very different. He didn't really care or he didn't really make a big fuss out of it, which now knowing him, I understand him so much more. But in the time I was just like, okay, that's strange because I was mentally preparing for the two kind of directions. It wasn't his reaction that I was expecting. I was expecting the, oh, that's not what I'm into. I'm a straight guy and you're really pretty, but I'm not going to pursue this any further. And then the other direction is you're trans. Tell me more. And let's just talk about trans for the next three dates. (laughs) And that's it. And then usually then I start to lose interest in the person that I once saw, I no longer like because they start to think that trans is literally my only personality trait. And they turn it into like, you're not like other girls kind of thing. And I hate that. At the end of the day, we're all the same. Our experiences make us different, but it's not one of those things where it's just like you should like someone just because of the way that they were born. 
Ryan's reaction, he more so saw it as like, this person is strong and they're strong because they had to face these things. And that was it. And we left it at that. And I was like, wow, okay. <laughs> and I remember the third day, Ryan cooked me like a meal and I went to his place and it was just really sweet. And I just knew that like I was catching feelings in that moment because I haven't had any guy do that or really think of something so sweet and wholesome to do for somebody. And it was a reminder that there is genuine people who just want to get to know you, the core being of who you are. And I thought that was really beautiful and sweet. I think anyone who has glanced your social channels or followed you for a while can see that it is so clear that you two love each other a lot because you you share that sentiment very clearly online. And I want to know, is it important to you to share that trans women can find that love when the world sometimes tends to tell them that they won't? Definitely. I struggled with that for most of my life. I actually sat on the whole fact that I thought I wouldn't end up with somebody just because when it came to guys, they would just have these two reactions. And I just realized maybe at the end of the day, I need to just love myself and focus on me. And that's what's going to happen with my life. Also, the knowledge of what's happening to trans women around the world and the fact that they're most at risk and the most abused and the most hurt people at the moment, especially trans women of colour, I feel like it's one of those situations where it's so important for guys to understand that trans women are women and it's got nothing to do with their sexuality and to also just be aware of how toxic masculinity exists. That is part of why they have so much hatred and end up doing the worst and killing trans women because of this internal conflict they have. It's scary. And as trans women, we are scared day to day of how men would react. So to see that there is men that don't care and don't have that internalized conflict or don't listen to what they see because the media will portray the worst. It's also important for girls like me as well to see that. And obviously it's important to protect yourself, but to know that there is good people out there. Mm. I mean, you use your platform for such good. You are such an activist for change, but also for positivity, inclusion, love. Do you wish more people with large platforms like yours, especially those who aren't even in the LGBTIQ plus community, do you wish that more people with influence use that influence for good? Definitely. Social media can turn very toxic really fast. And it's one of those things where there's so many people that could say one thing and it could change how someone views a group of people, no matter what it is, but minorities need that so much. And if you are in a position to let another voice be heard, then what's the harm in doing that? It's crazy times at the moment, but it's not 
just my role, other creators that do speak on stuff to continuously speak on those things. And I say that too to my followers because it literally breaks my heart when there's so much things happening in the world and people rely on me to talk about it. But I'm, I usually go back with, hang on a minute, like there's other creators that we should be lifting up to speak about these kind of things because I'm not in the right place to speak on someone else's experience because I can only really speak on my own experience and living as a trans girl. So that's my responsibility to lift up those other voices and those other creators should be doing the same. Social media is evolving, but we know the direction that's going and we control what we see and what we hear and who we give the time of day to. So amplify those voices that are doing good over the ones that are creating negative things because that's where the media will go. They will go with whoever's allowed us and they will roll with that. Speaking of people who are quite loud and who the media picks up on, I mean, 2020 has been a pretty hard year for everybody, but particularly the trans community who on top of everything have had to deal with the fact that JK Rowling and her transphobia has made headlines month after month, it seems. What would you say to people who suggest that JK Rowling is being silenced or who want to defend her supposed right to share anti-trans messaging to the masses? I feel like people that say those things, they aren't trans themselves most of the time, so they don't really know the impact that her words have. It's hurtful, it's damaging, and it's actually dangerous. She's mostly dangerous towards young trans people, young kids who have people in their lives that look to JK Rowling and thinking that she's this intelligent woman who knows everything when she doesn't have the facts and she doesn't know what she's talking about and she's biased in her decisions on how she talks about trans women. She knows nothing and it's known by the way that she talks about us. People say that she's allowed to say those kind of things. She can, but there also needs to be consequences. In saying this, we should really look at the rest of the Harry Potter cast who have spoke up about their views on trans people and how they support the community. And I feel like that's what we should be putting our attention to. We should ignore JK, not buying her stuff and not supporting her is the best way we can do that. I highly recommend people read what Daniel Radcliffe wrote for the Trevor Project because that was just so powerful. And yeah, JK... She has her own issues, obviously, that she needs to work out. We can't really do that for her. Mm. You have been quoted saying trans people don't exist to entertain people's curiosity. It is a community that has been continually silenced, so it's time to listen. How, in your opinion, can the listeners of this episode be better allies to the trans community? Simply by just doing a little bit of research and reading a little bit about trans people because with that knowledge and having that built empathy for a trans person, you're more aware of their struggle and what they might be feeling day to day because at different points of a trans person's transition, they're going to be feeling different about themselves and how they feel in that exact moment in time. And the number one thing 
I wish for people to understand is as much as we're talking more about trans things and we are becoming more accepting towards the trans community, it's still very difficult in most countries to transition. And there's only a few progressive countries that just help and pay for the whole transition. But even in Australia, it's expensive. And yes, Medicare does pay for some of it, but it's not covered for like something that we need. So yeah, it's one of those things that just like listening is so important. If you can help a trans person out, then do it. Because I think people's misconception is that it's a vanity thing and they need these things to feel prettier, but it's literally things that they need to be themselves, to not feel like they're at war with their bodies. AJ, what's next for you? What do you want from your career? What do you want to do in the next few years? Honestly, I just want to keep doing what I'm doing and also just work on being a better person in the community, not just within the LGBTQI plus community, but also just being more aware on like what's happening. And Ryan is really good with that for me. And he always tells me what's happening. He's always across what's happening all around the world. He has much more knowledge around that stuff. Also just making sure that, because for me, I still don't understand how much my platform has grown because it just grew in this year. So also making sure that I'm using my platform for the best things possible. Also, by the time this podcast comes out, I will have launched my palette that I've created this Mm -hmm. year. So that's really exciting as well. And I can't wait for my followers and the public to see the colors because they all mean so much to me because their colors I actually wear, but also the names of each of the shades have a sentimental meaning to me. So I'm really excited about that and finally having that go live and in stores. You are killing it. I can't get over it. Second last question for you. It sounds more morbid than what it is, but we want to know, what do you want your legacy to be? I would say that I would want my legacy to be about how important it is to put that good into the world and that you actually did what you were set to do because I feel like as humans we all feel like we need a kind of purpose and it's okay if you haven't figured out that purpose in the first 10, 20, 30 years of your life. We're all at our different paces in life too so you get to be that sort, sort of guidance that it's okay to be at your own pace and to not have everything figured out, then I'd be so happy with that. AJ, our last question for you is, with all of this in mind, how do you define success in your own life? Being truly happy and comfortable in yourself and knowing that even though things might not be perfect in your life or you feel like you might not have everything put together or you're not in the situation that you expected for yourself at that certain age of your life, just as long as you're doing what your heart and soul is telling you to do, I feel like that's true success. And if you're not phased, if you're not being changed by what the world is telling you to do and 
you are not corrupted by money or all those kind of things that just they come and go then yeah I feel like you have got success AJ, you are an absolute delight. We cannot wait for this makeup palette to come out. We will absolutely direct all of our listeners to go and buy it. You are killing it. We love cheering you on from the sidelines. We can't wait to see what you do from here. Thank you so much for having me, guys. Thank you so much, AJ. Thank you so much for listening to this In Conversation episode of Shameless with AJ Clementine. If you want more from AJ, I don't blame you. Follow her on Instagram. You'll find her at AJClementine underscore. If you enjoyed this ep, may we also recommend our chats with creatives Jules Von Hepp and Courtney Act. They're incredible. You'll love them just as much. You'll find links to both of those episodes in our show notes. If you are on the hunt for more Shameless content, I recommend you go check out our brand new website, just head to shamelessthepodcast.com. That's shamelessthepodcast.com. There you'll find a rundown of everything we create and be able to catch up on anything you might have missed. That is all from us, guys. Thanks so much for listening. We'll be back in your ears on Monday. Hello guys, Mish here. I am the co-founder of Shameless Media. Thank you so much for giving us your ears and your mind and your time. We're so grateful. If you enjoy the stuff that we produce, may I recommend our brand new podcast, Style-ish. Style-ish, if you want to say it quickly. Style-ish, if you want to take the long way through. It is our podcast for all things fashion, brand, business, and beauty. If that is in your wheelhouse. If you care about style content, you will love this show. It is, of course, more than just a show as well. It is a newsletter. It is an Instagram feed. It is a TikTok account. There is so much good stuff going out on Stylish every single day starting now. So in your favorite app, search for Style-ish. Give it a listen. Give it a follow. We are an independent media company and we would be so, so grateful for all your support. That's all for me, guys. Check out Stylish and have a good one.